Blog Talk Radio. Morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to Hope for Today. My name is Naja E. Brown, your host, and we thank you for your support and participation. Hope for Today is an outreach program of Yield to the King Ministry, and our hope and prayer for our listening audience is that you hear something that is encouraging, life-altering, or prompting you to study the Word of God. We welcome your comments anytime, and you can reach us through our website at yieldtothekingministry.org. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to today's episode entitled The Splendors of Egypt Tour and Biblical Roots. I've missed uh, uh, talking with you all. I took a break and actually did some traveling, and so that's what this episode is all about today. So I recently returned. This is our promotional material. I recently returned from a 10-day tour in Egypt. It was spectacular. The itinerary was full of all the main tourist attractions in Cairo, Luxor, Aswan, Kamambo, Edfu, and it included a three-day cruise on the Nile. So I got to stand on the grounds of ancient history with all its unexplained mysteries. I couldn't begin to comprehend it all without going back to the Bible. It was there that I was reminded of how Egypt played a critical role in the history of the children of Israel. You see, the children of Israel spent at least 400 years in Egypt. According to Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and in verse 13, Scripture says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. We know for a fact that biblical, the biblical account of the Egyptians and the children of Israel presents a shared and intertwined history. So I must say that I experienced the most enlightening tour of all times, well, at least for me. Uh, I travel with Smart Tours. I'm going to give a plug for them, and this is the fifth international trip that I've taken. So I toured Egypt for 10 days, and it was a whirlwind. I did all I could do to take it all in, and every day our itinerary was full. We arrived in Cairo, and then the very next day we went to the Pyramids of Giza, one of the seven world wonders of the ancient world. And the pyramids are monumental. We've seen pictures. We've um, seen maybe even television documentaries. But to stand there and to look up at this big, huge, triangular mass structure was just phenomenal. And then we were within walking distance uh, of the, the Sphinx in Giza. And this is a legendary statue that combines the head of Kephra and a lion's body. Then we flew to Aswan and boarded a cruise ship, and we sailed down the River Nile from Upper Egypt to Lower Egypt. And the highlights of being in Aswan was the High Dam and Philae's Temple of Isis. Now, I'm going to have to say, forgive me for some of my pronunciations. Um, This is not an easy language uh, to be able to even look at the words and figure out how they're supposed to be pronounced. So I'm going to do my best. 
So we failed to come ambo to see the Ptolemaic temple built for Horus, the falcon god, and Sobek, the crocodile god. We then sailed to Edfu, the Egyptian city, on the west bank of the Nile. And in Edfu, we visited Horus Temple, the largest and most completely preserved pharaonic Greek-built temple in Egypt. And these structures were, oh my gosh, I just, I can't even begin to tell you the magnificence to behold uh, with the hieroglyphs and the stories that were depicted. And some of them still were preserved in such a way where the original painting, you know, the coloration was still there. So then we sailed to Luxor and there we visited an array of ruins and monuments that are often considered the most extraordinary open air museum in the world. Our sightseeing opportunities included being carted around in a horse carriage through the the city streets. And uh, the the driver of our carriage was was excellent, and his horse's name was Rambo. I thought that was pretty cute because Rambo had a lot of energy and did a lot of trotting where I looked at some of the other carriages and their horses were just kind of meandering along. But we went to the ancient temples of Karnak and Luxor. Then we disembarked the cruise ship and visited the west bank of the Nile. And we got to see the temple of Queen Hatshepsut, and that was spectacular. She was the second confirmed pharaoh of Egypt, and she is often thought of as one of the most successful rulers of Egypt. Then we visited the valleys of the kings where at least 62 pharaohs are entombed, including, including excuse me, Ramses II, and then also in the same general area, you know, we're in the Sahara Desert, uh, was the Valley of the Queens, which were the royal wives and princesses' uh, locations for their burial. The tomb of Nefertari, the wife of Ramses II, is located there too. So the temple ruins date back 5,000 years. And every time I heard 3,000 or 4,500 B.C., it was baffling to me and sometimes difficult to fathom. And I think that has everything to do with being from North America because the Americas are still sort of infants compared to 5,000 years of ancient history. Uh, If Christopher Columbus discovered America in 1492, uh, you know, it's, it's questionable because there were natives here. Our history is, is, is young. Our, our, you know, discoveries uh, are, are still in infancy compared to 5,000 years ago. But one of the things that stood out for me most is what our tour guide said. She said that all the stories depicted through hieroglyphs, which is picture writing, were mythology. There were so many gods and goddesses with different powers and different names. Some of them had they were some of them were half human and they had uh, the heads of animals and, and bodies of animals like the jackal, the falcon, the lion, the hippo, cobra, and the crocodile. There were so many names for the kings and queens and gods and goddesses. There was Kefra, Ramses the first, Seti, Ramses the second, King Tut, there was Nefertari, also known as Nefertari Meremut. There was Hatshepsut, there was Amenhotep III, Tutmosis I, Mankari, Tutmosis II, and then there were these gods and goddesses, one of them uh, names uh, like Horus and Osiris and Isis and Thoth and Sobek. 
There were others, believe me, but I couldn't keep up with and remember all of their names. And as part of their cultural rituals, some of these bodies were mummified and are still viewed to this day. So thousands of years ago, the Egyptians' mythological belief was that living in the here and now was just practice for life in the hereafter. Their judgment was determined by the weight of your heart versus the weight of a feather. If the weight of your heart was equal or lighter than a feather, then you had lived a virtuous life and you'd be ushered into the hereafter. If your heart outweighed the feather, then some god that had, I think, the head of a hippopotamus chewed, it, chewed up your heart and, and you didn't get to go into the hereafter. Essentially, though, death was the portal to eternal life. Does that sound familiar? The parallel to Christianity is uncanny. But mythology is just that, a collection of stories based on traditional stories that have been passed on, uh, depicted through the hieroglyphs, you know, and it's always about gods and heroes. It's not based on fact. So then finally, we flew back to Cairo and visited the Egyptian Museum of Antiquities, which houses the world's largest collection of funerary artifacts from the kings. Now, the funerary artifacts were the items that were taken into the entombed areas for the kings or the queens or whomever, and they were often gold or gold onlay and uh they were offered uh, to to the kings and queens. And over the years, you know, throughout all these centuries where there's been excavating and discoveries, people have basically robbed these graves of a lot of the, the valuables. And uh, the kings and the queens and the princesses and the princes were treated with, they were royalty, so they were treated very good. We also visited a perfumery with essential oils, and I got to, to smell uh, frankincense and myrrh. We went to a papyrus factory where we saw how the papyrus paper is still manufactured by hand today. We went to a handmade rug factory and saw some of the artisans at work. And then we also went to an alabaster, granite, and onyx shop. And then we went to a mega, mega shopping mall. It was overwhelming, all of the vendors and the people and uh, just just blocks and blocks. And just, I, I'm not exaggerating, it just felt like thousands of people uh, all in one um, area. So all in all, the Egyptians had an advanced society. They practiced religion, medicine, and dentistry. They incorporated astrology, astronomy, science, technology, and mathematics. They performed surgeries with surgical instruments that look familiar today. And then they also were the ones who invented the 365-day calendar. They used limestone, sandstone, and granite as building materials. And these materials withstood the flooding of the Nile, hence the reason why the temples and its funerary artifacts are still being excavated today and are intact. When I travel, the word of God comes alive. It seems to jump off the pages of the Bible and voila, it all makes good sense. God instructed the children of Israel not to worship other gods. Polytheism, which means many gods, M-A-N-Y gods, not small like an M-I-N-I. And polytheism was all around the children of Israel. 
and and the society that they were in, it was evident that their religion, culture, and tradition, God intended for the children of Israel to worship him and him alone. You know, we stood there and we looked at these massive structures and we said, how on earth did they get the stones built up so high and so on and so forth? Everything was built and positioned on excuse me, longitude and latitude and their mathematics were, were obvious. But I said, it's no longer a mystery for me because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one that imparts wisdom. The Egyptians, their temples and tombs and hieroglyphs are not a mystery. They were a society and civilization, uh, civilization that God the Father had warned against. The children of Israel were not to start practicing what they were practicing. Now, when I make the statement, uh, I don't want to take anything away from their advancements and how they have contributed to mankind over generations, all of the generations and generations to come. On the contrary, I'm just pointing out that they are an example of how God will use people and all things to accomplish his purposes. He warns us for a reason. Let me present a couple of scriptures to you just to wrap this up. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 23, it says, you shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourself. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, it says, you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. And verse 15 says, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. And then finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16, it says, Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. There's a warning there for not only the children of Israel back then, but also for us today. So in closing, it's pretty simple. Not only was that a warning for the children of Israel who spent 400 plus years in bondage in Egypt, but it's also a warning for us today. Today, we might not fashion physical statues of silver, statues, excuse me, of silver and gold. Our spiritual health, however, is the result of the condition of our heart. Do we put other things, whatever that might be for you and I, before God? Let's turn our hearts toward God and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. He will give the increase. And with that, I want to say God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. God bless you. 